Good evening. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> change? You have to form a committee. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Actually, I've got another Presbyterian one. Am I allowed to begin like that? Uh, it was a meme I saw. You know the Bernie, this isn't political by the way, but you know the Bernie Sanders meme of him sitting listening to something with the, the mittens on looking very grumpy? You've seen that picture? Uh, there's a, um, a version of it I saw going the rounds, which uh, had you know, one picture of Bernie Sanders like this, looking grumpy, saying, um, uh, Pentecostals not enjoying a sermon. <laughs> and then exactly the same picture of Bernie Sanders looking like that, saying, Presbyterians enjoying a sermon. <laughs> So anyway, uh, but all that to say, we're thinking about church this evening, and church has enough stuff in it to keep you amused for life. Uh, and uh, the, the theme this evening is, uh, what are the signs of a healthy church? And I've got five for us. The reason why we're doing this, a number of different reasons. Uh, first of all, I suppose it's pretty obvious to many people that the church in America um, has some challenges at the moment, and the church in Chicagoland has had some challenges. There's been some unhealth uh, in the area, so we should think about that. Uh, And I think we as a church are reasonably healthy, but we should look at what constitutes a healthy church, and I'm sure there are areas of unhealth that we inevitably have this side of glory, and so we need to keep on growing in health, so there's that. But, But then also, seems to me when people think about church and how to be effective as a church, the West, broadly speaking, tends, not, not the West as in the Midwest, but the Western world, tends to think in quantitative terms. Uh, how big, how small, how many people, numbers. Or methodologically, you know, what's the method you've got? Um, Uh, how many elders, how many committees, Um, uh, uh, what's the the method, Uh, how many people, quantitative, methodological, whereas it seems to me, and this is the case I'm going to make this evening, and there are going to be five signs, that the New Testament doesn't primarily think of health quantitatively, um, in terms of the quantity, but in terms, but qualitatively, in terms of the quality, and it's much more like you know, if you're a musician uh, and you want to tune the musical instrument you're playing, uh, you might have a tuning fork, and you ring the tuning fork, and then you bring all the different instruments into tune. And so my hope is, as we look at the the qualitative elements of a healthy church this evening, uh, it will help us come more into tune. And so here they are. The first one is this, love over gifting. Love over gifting. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, very famous text. And I won't recapitulate the story of Corinth, which we did this morning, but you know that the challenge for the Corinthian church was to be Christian rather than Corinthian in their attitude to gifts and power and all this sort of thing. 
And so Paul describes uh, love over gifting this way. End of chapter 12, now I will show you the most excellent way. And then chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So it's a key passage in uh, Paul's correspondence with the Corinthians and massively central to what he's teaching them, which is that it's more important you love than you have impressive gifts. And that's, of course, a qualitative thing, isn't it? It's hard to define, and that's why this is such an amazing, brilliant passage, because Paul is defining what it looks like. It's patient, doesn't envy, doesn't boast. Um, and all the rest that's here. How different that is from the way we tend to think of successful churches. We tend to think of their gifts their abilities, their aptitudes. Uh, but Paul is saying no love over gifting. I'm going to do one more from the Corinthian correspondence and then reflect on the two of them together. So that's the first uh, of the signs of a healthy church, love over gifting. The second is weakness over power. And uh, if you have... Uh, Again, your Bible, we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And again, remember this is part of this correspondence he's having with the Corinthian church where they needed to become less Corinthian and more Christian in their approach to life and church. And as I indicated this morning, there's this other part that still needed to be adjusted in their approach to church, which wasn't just their generosity that we looked at this morning, but also their approach to leadership and particularly love, uh, uh, weakness over, over power. And uh, Paul very famously in Second Corinthians chapter 12, he's had this vision and he's been teaching about strength and weakness and, uh, in several different places in the letter. And then in uh, chapter 12 verse 9, he records something that Jesus said to him directly. So this is uh, underlined, significant, uh, chapter 12, verse 9, he says, uh, Paul records this, but he, that is Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
What an extraordinarily counterintuitive sign of a healthy church. Weakness over power. Now, I said I was going to reflect on both these together because I think in a way they're, they're connected, aren't they? Love over gifting, weakness over power. And as I've been praying about, uh, obviously, the message this evening this week and thinking about it, it strikes me that the way... In, if you went into my study and uh, my office and I have different sections for different themes of books and I have a section that is just dedicated to books written about church and there have been so many books written about church and I certainly don't have all of them but I, in that section that is kind of overflowing with books about church there are probably let's see I hope, don't want to exaggerate but there are probably 25 or so books there about church. And it's like overflowing with books about church. And they're all talking about different methodology or how many committees you have or what the polity of the church should be or, or uh, all this. And you could say, and perhaps this is being a little unfair, but you could say they're all talking about gifting and power not love and weakness. And when I think like that, I, I think to myself, is it any wonder we're in such a mess? We are doing precisely the reverse of what Paul instructs uh, the church to emphasize. We're putting the emphasis in precisely the reverse place, um, gifting, power, not Weakness and love. And we do it in pastoral circles. It's happening slightly less now than it used to just a few years ago because there have been some scandals among well-known pastors. But it still is the case. But it was the case in a huge way a few years ago that people would talk about pastors and preachers and they'd say, oh, he's so gifted. Almost sort of like drooling at his giftedness. But I never heard anyone saying, oh, he's so loving. And if they, if they would have done, it would have been slightly sneering. Like, he's a nice guy, but he's not very gifted. How different is the New Testament picture? Now, Paul doesn't mean that we should do things poorly. He doesn't mean that, I mean, this, these letters are brilliantly written and carefully structured, and he, he doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for excellence elsewhere. He talks about aiming for perfection in our Christian walk, which we're striving to do the best we can. He doesn't mean that, but what, what does he mean then? What, what he means by this weakness is the authenticity of real human, the real human condition. The, the unveiled human condition. Paul, in earlier in 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about, and it's a very well-known passage that probably many of you know, that he, he talks about how our treasure is in jars of clay. That's it. It's the jar of clay. So that the treasure can be seen. And that doesn't mean you have to tell everyone all the time all your weaknesses. But it does mean you don't need to be embarrassed by them. 
And it could be that in the very place where you're suffering most, that's designed by God to reveal His power. It's so counterintuitive, and in many ways, I feel like we could just reflect together on these two first signs of a healthy church, love over gifting, weakness over power. It's Christ's power we want, and therefore we need to be real about our weakness so that people see that it's, it's Christ's power. The love that they have for one another. By this shall all men know that they are my disciples, by their love they have for one another. That's, that's a healthy church. They love each other. Well, those are the first two. Uh, Love, and they both come from the Corinthian correspondence. Love over uh, gifting and weakness over power. Well, the next one I have uh, from the New Testament is holiness, not legalism. So if you come with me in your Bibles to the book of uh, Colossians, and there are many places where we could have um, uh, gone to with that. Um, But Colossians is um, one I've thought about a lot, and I preached a series on this in Colossians chapter 3 a few years ago that talked about it much more than I will this evening. But, but, But a church is to be becoming increasingly like Christ, holiness, And so the tendency can be in church life to become legalistic, moralistic, rigid, rule-bound, or not to care about holiness at all, I suppose, but that's less common. And so we should have holiness, not legalism. And Paul is, in in his letter to the Colossians, he's dealing with basically a legalistic tendency that was uh, rooted in, in various mystical elements of which we don't know exactly what they were, but scholars have spent a long time discussing. But fundamentally, it's the idea of holiness, not legalism. So if you look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, you'll see the kind of legalism that he means. Therefore, verse 16, chapter 2 of Colossians, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. And so often that happens in church life. You're doing that festival wrong, or you're eating the wrong thing, or you're, you're, you think this about the Sabbath, or that about the Sabbath. But he says these are a shadow of the things that are to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and fasting, and denying yourself various things. And the worship of angels, going into detail about visions. We, we, that often happens in church life, doesn't it? Like, I saw this in some vision, and they use it to control and dominate, and Make you, make you put you under their thumb. Details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast the head, the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. That's, that's holiness, not legalism. And, and then he talks more about it, doesn't he, in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, which is the sort of mystical element of the legalism that was going on in uh, the Colossian area at the time, 
Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All, all, these, all these legalistic things, he says, verse 23, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So they don't work. So that's legalism. What then is holiness? Well, he tells us, in chapter 3, and again, I won't go into great detail. It's a very important passage about how to become like Jesus. But here it is in summation, verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, therefore, he's, he's saying, if this, therefore that. He's assuming they have. They're real Christians. They've experienced the resurrection of Jesus. They've been born again. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And, and then he goes on talking about how to apply it. But, but, but basically, the holiness that is biblical starts with you're a new creation, you've been raised with Christ, and therefore set your mind on him and set your heart on him. And therefore comes the power from that place to put to death uh, the deeds uh, that are displeasing to our Lord and all the rest. But for a church to be healthy, we need to have a desire to become more like Jesus, and we need to go about it the right way. John Owen, when he talks about this, uh, the great um, Puritan John Owen, uh, would say that the, the greatest cause of errors in the church across history has been a tendency to go around trying to get holiness the wrong way. Because we, we're Christians, we want to please Jesus. That's the nature of our new nature. And then we, we, we read about a technique or rule or regulation, and then we become repressed and rigid and not filled with the Spirit and, and, and following Him. And, and, and so, we, we, so it's this set your minds on things above through the Word of God, through the, the teaching of the Bible. Fill your mind and your heart with the truth about Jesus and therefore then put to death the, uh, what is earthly in you that he talks about in, in verse 5, sexual morality, impurity, which is all the process of what is called mortification. That is, that is digging deep to root out the things that don't please Jesus. So there's activity in it, but it begins from this place of supernatural power. Jesus, that he's risen, that he is risen, and we in him, therefore, have power to become more like him. That's a totally different approach. In a healthy church, yes, we are aiming to become more and more holy, but we're not legalistic about it. We're not judging each other. We're not putting each other down. We're not moralistic. Someone who comes in here who's, you know, for the first time, who's been doing drugs or sleeping with their boyfriend or their girlfriend or something, they don't immediately feel like, we don't like them, those dirty people. No. We're all sinners. If you come to Jesus, he'll forgive you. And then he'll give you power, gradually to become more like him. 
I was talking about this with the class that I'm lecturing at Wheaton College, how there's this new development of the last 10, 15 years in Western American culture where increasingly we're a shame culture because of, a lot of it's because of the technology of the internet with Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all this sort of thing. We're constantly exposed to what other people think of us. So people today are very attuned to what someone will think of them. So someone comes in here, and yeah, we accept them, whatever they've done, wherever they've been, and then we call them to follow Jesus. Because we all, uh, we all need the grace of God to become holy. So it's holiness, not legalism. Yes, holiness, becoming more like Jesus, but not the wrong way, the right way. And again, this is each of these um, we could spend a long time talking about, but that's the third one. So remember, love over gifting, weakness over power, uh, holiness, uh, not legalism. The fourth one, which we'll spend very little time on, because I've just finished teaching a series that, uh, in the Sunday morning, it was really about this, which the third one is, is word, not human tradition. So uh, Mark chapter 7 and we'll be talked about the Pharisees then and the Pharisees now and, and all the rest. The key part of that was the importance of listening to the teaching of the Bible but not being dominated by human tradition with the, 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 that could then, then voids God's word. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time talking about that this evening because we've just done a series on it. But if you, the reason why I did a whole series on it is because if you had to predict one element that all other things being equal would lead to a church gradually becoming more healthy, it would be the functional centrality of the teaching of the Bible. If the Bible has been taught, we will gradually become more healthy. It's not the only thing, but it is the most prominent predictor of increasing health. So when people come to me and say, I've gone to this area of the country or I'm moving into a different country, I'm looking for a church, what should I look for? I, I say to them, you want to look for two things. And the second one we'll come to in a moment, which is the fifth of these signs and really the most important. Uh, but you want to look for two things. And the first thing is, is the Bible open and taught? And if they don't teach from the Bible... Uh, go look for a different church. So here we're having five healthy signs. Love over gifting, weakness over power, holiness, not legalism, the word, not human tradition. And the human tradition can be things that happened a long time ago, but it can be contemporary ideas too, can't it? The latest fad um, and, and that sort of thing. So, but instead, the functional centrality of God's word and then finally, the fifth of them is Christ over all. And so when someone asks me, what, are you looking, what should I look for in a church? I say, look for a church that teaches the Bible and look for a church that loves Jesus. And the fifth and most important sign is Christ over all. Now, we could go to many parts, of course, of the New Testament, indeed the whole Bible, that would emphasize that as a qualitative sign of health. But the place that I love to go to for this is uh, the book of Revelation and the letters to the church, churches of Asia. 
uh, in Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3, which obviously I won't go all through right now, but I just want to pick out one element to them. We've done a series on uh, the letters, uh, if you want to look, listen to a series on them online um, in fairly recent past. But there's one part of this I want to pick out for you that shows this theme of the fifth sign of Christ overall, which to each of the letters, uh, it begins with this. So uh, chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, verse 1, this is the first letter, the words of him. Or uh, chapter 2, verse 8, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Or chapter 2, verse 12, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Or chapter 2, verse 18, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like bronze, uh, burnished bronze. Or uh, chapter 3, verse 1, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Or uh, chapter 3, verse 7, the words of the Holy One, the True One. Or uh, finally, uh, chapter 3, verse 14, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Of course, that Him is Jesus. And the theme throughout the letters, uh, the seven letters to the church, uh, church of Asia is Christ must be overall. And you say, well, who is this Jesus? And you come back to Revelation chapter 1, and uh, John tells us, uh, verse uh, 12, Then I turned to see the voice, the words of him, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, which are, of course, the churches, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, it's of course the word of God, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Well, that's a healthy church is a church where Christ is overall. And that's, of course, what we want, isn't it? We want, this is Jesus' church. And what we want most of all is him to be increasingly overall. Jesus rules his church, and he rules uh, through his word. So we bring his word into the center of things. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love. So we want love over gifting. Uh, Jesus uh, showed us what it means to be weak when he went to the cross and died and then rose again. So we want weakness over power. Jesus gives us the power to be holy, spiritual power, the work of his spirit. And so we want holiness, not uh, legalism. And it is Jesus' word. Jesus rules the church. He rules by his word that needs to be the functional center of everything for us to gradually become more healthy.
for ultimately what we want is Christ over all. So anyway, of course there are a lot of other things we could say about a healthy church. Um, I haven't mentioned prayer, and clearly that's important, but it bleeds through everything I've been saying. And I haven't actually really mentioned as a separate point the power of the Spirit, but again, the power of the Spirit, um, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Um, Jesus is present by His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. So that also goes through everything I've been saying, but... Certainly, you can put together these different elements with a slightly different order. And I don't say there have to be five. There could be six or seven, you know, or four. But I do think it's a helpful way, these five signs of a healthy church, for us to think through qualitative health rather than quantitative health. And they um, say, well, how do, we, how do we do that in practice? Well, we need to recalibrate. Is this how we're thinking? Uh, and then we need to celebrate when we catch someone um, uh, acting in love and uh, pursuing real holiness. And we need to celebrate that. What you celebrate, you get more of. So celebrate healthy uh, aspects of, our, of the Lord's church here at College Church. Uh, talking of health, and this is just the final illustration, you can, of course, on, uh, now you can download various apps that will help you with your fitness and your health. Uh, one is called MyFitnessPal. There are many others. What they tend to do is exactly that. They tend to give you a tool to recalibrate and then celebrate. And we don't need a spiritual health app. Um, though I've tried to persuade some people it would be a winner to publish it, but no one yet has agreed with me. They may be right. But at least for us to think through this kind of health. And of course, we, we long for thousands of people to come to Jesus here and all around the world, and so numbers are good. But they're not, they're not the real signs of health, are they? Not how big we are or how small we are. Um, the real sign, the real signs are those five signs we've been through. Love over gifting, weakness over power, wholeness not legalism, word not human tradition, and Christ overall. Well, let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you that you call us to your church, and it is uh, the body of Jesus, your Son, and We thank you that he is the head, and we pray, Lord, that you, by your power, will continue to animate us through your spirit to increasingly grow up into you and to give you uh, the glory as you work through us. So lead us from health to increased health, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.